today we're going to be doing part two of the cross. And we're actually uh, in a series at FGA where since the beginning of this year, we've been looking at 15 words that have changed everything. 15 words that are the main 15 words that uh, come out when you read the New Testament. So we just haven't come up with random 15 words. We've like, hey, let's look at the New Testament and what are the major themes that come out when you read the New Testament and can we boil those down to 15 concepts or 15 words that have been so transformational in our world today. In fact, so transformational that they have changed everything. You know, uh, these are pretty epic words, right? And, and they, we don't actually have to do a lot of work with some of these words. We don't have to do a lot of work to prop them up, to talk about and hype it up and dress it up so to make it sound more exciting than it is because these words in and of themselves have been so transformational. Words like love, life, fellowship, hope. They speak for themselves and their impact on our world rings louder and more impressively than anything any speaker could say on a stage. But today's word is probably top on that list. It speaks louder, the cross, speaks louder for itself than anything anyone could do to augment it. Even if I was to preach the most boring sermon done in the worst possible way, it would still have little effect on the power of the cross. I, I mean, how many of us here were born in Judea, right? Jerusalem even. Yet from all over the world, we have come to gather together along with people in every nation of this planet. 2,000 years from the date of this cross event to celebrate what happened at the cross. We're literally giving out hot cross buns today, right? Like it's, it's impactful. So today we're going to be talking about the cross and specifically the cross as the power of God. This is our verse for today, 1 Corinthians 1.18, and it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. And today, especially today, we're so thankful for the victory that has been won by Jesus Christ. We thank you for the tangible evidence of the power of God at work in our very real world. We thank you that you not only have the power over sin and death, but you have power over life itself. 
I pray for us as we sit here this Easter service that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit and that it would not just be words that a, a speaker says, but that these words would somehow reflect the truth and the reality of the life that all of us live in and that we would get a glimpse of the amazing, almighty power of God as shown in the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, having done this big disclaimer that, you know, I can't make the cross more powerful, let's just go a little bit ridiculous for a moment because one of the things about FGA is that we're full of very normal people and I think what brings us the best parts of us out is not how fancy we are, but that we're actually able to just live out our lives side by side in fellowship with one another, opening our hearts and our homes and our lives to one another and then revealing whatever it is that God has done in our our lives. That is the great power of a real church. That's why we're so serious about genuine faith at home. So I'm going to start with something foolish since, you know, uh, it's going to be a mix of foolishness and wisdom uh, today. So if you'll allow me five minutes of indulgence, I'm pretty sure today will be a pretty tight service. It's Easter. We've got hot cross buns outside. Uh, but um, let me tell you the story of Mickey Mouse <laughs> in Italy. Of Mickey Mouse in Italy. Um, did you know that Mickey Mouse is not called Mickey Mouse in Italy? Yeah, it's not. In fact, uh, if you go all around the world, which which maybe I have, and maybe you, if you look at what Mickey Mouse is called all over, the, a lot of the countries, it's some variation of the word or the sound, Mickey Mouse. So, like in Hong Kong, Mikey, right, is like Mickey. Right or in uh, in Japan, which I'm gonna absolutely butcher, it's uh, Mickey Mouseu, <laughs> which uh, you know I imagine is just Mickey Mouse with a su at the end of it, <laughs> right? But not so in Italy. Not so in Italy. So if we go back to 1933, right, 1933, and, and I know uh, you guys know this, right, but Mickey Mouse became really famous in 1928 with Steamboat Willie, and so by 1933, the fame of Mickey Mouse had been sort of spreading all around America, but had been going around the world, actually. So four years uh, of sort of this fame going around. This is how I know Mickey Mouse was really famous in, by 1933. Because I typed into chat GPT, yep, tell me the top cartoons in the world in 1933. And uh, chat GPT said it was Mickey Mouse, Popeye, Betty Boop, and Felix the Cat. So it's like you're up there. By the time you're Mickey Mouse and people are watching cartoons, you know, people have heard your name. And Disney as a company was just beginning its global expansion. But before it hit Italy, there was a clever cartoonist that was in Italy 
And he decided to make a weekly newsletter uh, that would feature Mickey Mouse cartoons. Now, not from Disney, just like, oh, I've heard of this Mickey Mouse. Let's just make up random stories, right? And he couldn't call it, obviously, Mickey Mouse. So he called it Topolino. Topolino. Literally the Italian word for baby mouse or little mouse. Right? And so he's like, okay, you know what? This mouse is getting pretty famous. I'm just gonna ride this wave and I'm just gonna I'm gonna call this cartoon. It's gonna look a lot like Mickey Mouse. Everybody will, you know, it's like an Asian night market, right? It's gonna look a lot like the real thing, but uh, slightly off, right? And and so he did this, and my goodness, it became so popular and so famous. Now, you can imagine when Disney, the global organization, tries to come into Italy, what does it try to do with its Mickey Mouse cartoons? It basically is trying to go, hey, hey guys, this, this weekly news list thing that has got a ground swell of people, you know, uh, reading it and it's happening in Italy, it's, it's going everywhere. This thing, it's not, it's not the real thing. We are the organization. We have the brand rights. We are the owners. We dictate what Mickey Mickey Mouse is, and guess what? In Italy, they lost that fight. They couldn't make Mickey Mouse more popular than Topolino, which was the knockoff version <laughs> of the Louis Vuitton, you know, or whatever it is, right? And so they ended up, they thought it was easier, it was better to just license Mickey Mouse to the Topolino guys. And so till today, from 1933 till now, if you go to Italy, in fact, actually if you go even to America, you will see they've got a restaurant called Topolino. If you go anywhere around Italy, Mickey Mouse is known by its Asian night market name. <laughs> Yeah, it would be like Gucci in Malaysia becoming Gucci or whatever, one C, because they, it's too hard to change the actual brand, right? Can you imagine such a thing happening? Now, now, why such a random fact? Yeah, I happen to know a lot of random facts about Mickey Mouse, but that's a different thing. But our story today actually begins in Italy. But on a much more epic scale. And we're talking about how one word got forever co-opted to mean something else. Have you, have you ever wondered how the cross got its reputation today? How is it that we can all get around today and one of the top 15 words of the New Testament and, and all of Australia, all around the world, churches, are, in fact, not just churches, everywhere they're celebrating Easter. How did the cross get its reputation? I mean, it literally started out life as a killing instrument sanctioned for official use by the world-dominant global power. In Italy, in Italy, Rome was the center 
of the mighty Roman Empire, and it had created, it created the meaning of the word cross. It defined in its era what cross would mean, right? It was like just two pieces of wood, but it was used to humiliate and utterly destroy the person that was being punished. It had garnered such a scary reputation. You know, this is not a kind of device that was used where you go, you know, uh, you're, you're, not, you're not paying for your crimes and then I inject you somewhere in, in some room somewhere and then you, you get buried in some unknown grave somewhere. This was a public spectacle icon. That means if somebody was to be killed on the cross, they went out of their way to put that cross on a hill beside a road, somewhere where people can see it, right? And so, so that, the, the, the goal of that was so that the name and the fame of the word cross would echo throughout the empire. People would see cross and they would go, my goodness, you don't want to mess with the Roman Empire. I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to get caught for cheating my taxes. I don't, want to, I don't want to, you know, get caught for cheating my taxes. In, in Australia, you get a fine. In Rome, you get hung up on the cross. Like that, you just, it became so synonymous with being utterly humiliated so that you'd be naked beaten, dying, desperately grasping for every inch of your life and you finally lost it. That was the reputation of the cross. I mean, if you could, I, w I want you to think of the most dire situation you can imagine happening to you right now. The the most, the worst thing that you could possibly imagine to you happening right now where you go, my goodness, there's no coming back from that. The, the situation's so bleak, I can't even imagine a way out. And I'd put it to you, whatever you imagined, it'll still not be the cross. It'll still not be the cross. They had monopoly over the use of the word cross. And it was such a vivid simple, uh, symbol, such a vivid symbol. In fact, they had an entire ecosystem, an entire ecosystem designed to enforce it. From military to governors around, they had roads all over their empire. They had an entire legal system. They had, you know, uh, people with the whips. They had the tombs. They had the crossmakers, whatever, they had even events around the torture and the killing of people who would be on the cross. So that uh, if you wanted to actually change the meaning of the word cross and maybe, you know, put it on a bun and get people to eat, kids to eat you know, the hot cross bun. If you wanted to actually change the meaning of the word cross, you would not only have to get rid of the ugly connotations 
of the word cross. You'd have to sort of, oh my goodness, this is really icky. Like, come on, guys, let's pick another symbol. <laughs> let's pick another symbol because cross is a little bit tainted. We canceled it years ago or whatever, right? Uh, you'd have to get rid of the connotations of death and killing, but you'd literally also have to dismantle the entire Roman Empire because there was no way in that time they were going to let you take their weapon to instill fear to all the enemies. They're not going to let you take that weapon of terror and turn it into a symbol of hope and joy. They're not going to let you do that. You'd literally have to destroy the whole empire before they'd let you do that. So what happened? You know, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, I, I've done many Easter messages as a pastor, and actually none of them starting out with a Mickey Mouse story, but... I remember one in particular Easter where a new visitor came up to me and we had this little long conversation because, you know, after our services, you hang back for food and it's a great time to chat and get to know one another. And um, this guy said, you know what? I'm not impressed. I am not impressed by the story of Jesus. I find it actually rather boring. And I get it, I get it. Like maybe you've heard the story of the cross so many times and maybe every epic turnaround movie that you have ever seen has a hero that rises from supposed defeat to conquer it all in the end. But how many of those stories have had the impact of the cross and the power of the cross in our world today. That's why today I'm gonna to be talking about the real world power of the cross. Why was the cross foolishness? Why, why would you consider it, um, why, why was it so unlikely that the cross would become even Easter's symbol for victory, for hope, for the power of God? Why was the cross foolishness? The first point, so we have three points, and then we're going to end the sermon, we're going to do communion together, we're going to have a bit of a celebration, but I just want to um, highlight three things about the foolishness of the cross. One, it went against human wisdom. Um, this is how powerful the cross is, because as Mark Hodgetts was saying on Friday, literally, the odds were stacked up against Jesus. But also, the odds were stacked up against the entire concept of the cross, the entire meaning of the, the cross. It was stacked up that it could be transformed even. Can you imagine coming up with a plan? So you're sitting down, you're in the strategic leadership team of whatever it is that's going to start a brand new religion in the world, right? And you're, you're, you're trying to, okay, guys, let's all sit down and use our human wisdom, right? You're coming up with a plan like Jesus will die on the cross. Yeah, Jesus, you're in the room, so that's you. You will die on the cross and then you know, like in three days, 
like just be resurrected. Yeah, no, no, don't just hide in a corner and come out. Be resurrected in a body that can walk through walls and appear at different places and then ascend to heaven while people are watching. That's the plan. You got it? You got it? Like, my goodness. You know, um, I, I imagine if, if our church was not doing well, okay? So let's say, hey, FGA is going through a really rough time. And we're like, I've got a plan to save FGA. I'll die. And in three days, I'll rise from the dead. That's it. That'll be it. Like, we'll bank everything on that. And our church, can you imagine how exciting that'll be? Every old man, ABC will not be the only TV network that will be contacted. This will be amazing. But how many people with human wisdom are going to sign on for that plan? Who's going to sign up for that? You know, I did strategy consulting for a few years, right? And this is what they call a single point of failure. <laughs> it's not good. There is a literal, there's no contingency. There's literally no way that if you got a committee of humans together, that they would devise a plan such that Jesus would die on the cross as a criminal only to rise again from the dead to spread the good news all over the earth for years, thousands of years to come. That would not pass a committee vote. In fact, if there was a committee, if there was a group that would be able to do that, it would probably be the disciples, right? The disciples would have been the one to devise this plan. But let's be honest. This group of disciples, if you've been reading the New Testament, these group of disciples, they were not regarded as the wise men of their day. Some of them were illiterate, fishermen. None of them had formal positions of, you know, seniority or leadership anywhere. They didn't have any influence anywhere to speak of globally. There, there are people in this room with more Facebook followers than, than some of these disciples had. It's actually, so firstly, I don't even know if they were the pinnacle of human wisdom at the time. And then secondly, it's actually so unlikely that this group would have conceived of the plan for the transformation of the cross because if they knew the whole plan, they would realize they would all end up dying for it. And not just dying, they would live whatever life they had left to live on earth, on the run, poor, and then not just dying, but dying a gruesome death. And not just a gruesome death where they all get wiped out at once. It'd be like piercing your ears, right? They die one at a time. And so if you ever had doubts about your strategy, after one person goes down, you're like, uh, two persons go down, you're uh, there's a bunch of them, and they all stuck with their conviction. Something affected them so much that they were willing to die while they saw their brothers and sisters dying for this. So the cross, it reminds us actually that we are not wise enough ourselves to come up with this plan. We're not wise enough to come up with our own 
salvation. The cross, the results of the cross, the things that we can see that the cross has done in our real world history today actually highlight the fact that maybe we weren't smart enough to come up with the plan that is now engulfing the whole world. Okay, but secondly, the cross is foolish because it opposed human ability. The cross opposed human ability. I, let's take ourselves back to the time of the crucifixion, right? All human ability in the world at that time, and I know there's you know, like people living in some island somewhere, right? But all human ability was actually focused away from Jesus. So either you didn't know Jesus at all or, you know, whatever, or you were part of the Roman Empire and, and you were either the, the Pharisees or like everyone was focused away from Jesus. In fact, even Jesus' own disciples who were probably the last remnant of humans with the ability to turn things around. If there was anybody focused on Jesus, it would be his disciples. They had given up. They thought human ability... <laughs> Just can't do it. Just can't do it. Peter, the future founder of the church, had denied even knowing Jesus, and all of his disciples had scattered. Um, the fact that the cross did what it did, despite all of human ability, in the opposite direction. Either you were Rome trying to squash it down or you were the Pharisees trying to break the her her heretic, right? Or you were the disciples who had just given up hope. It doesn't matter. There weren't many people, put it this way, fighting to manufacture that the cross would be this spectacular thing. In fact, very little credit is given to human ability in the story of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. When you think about it, you look through our texts, you look through what happened with Jesus. It was not modern medicine. It was not AI ingenuity. It was not even his economic status, his power, his None, none of those, none of these things account. No human ability is actually inherently at the center of the cross transformation story. Because it is just Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And the Bible and all of history and the people who are there, they attribute it to the power of God. We attribute it to the power of God. It, it reminds me of this quote, and I, I said this on Good Friday because it just resonated so much for me in this season. Um, but it reminds me of a quote from my professor in seminary, um, D.A. Carson, who said, at Genesis, in Genesis, Sin came into the world and everything was destroyed because of this one line, my will, not yours, be done. My will, not your will, God, be done. But at the cross, human ability, human will got turned around 
And at the cross, Jesus changed everything by saying, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And what would happen after Jesus did what he did, after the cross would come generation after generation after generation of faithful Christians who would then say, yeah, actually, my human ability goes this far. My human wisdom takes me this far. I'm going to live my life and not my will, but your will be done. And it began a revolution. It began a movement. It began a transformation that literally shaped how our planet looks today, how our world looks today. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 says, And if Christ has not written raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus Christ did not if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, if it was not the power of God at work, then this is all a made-up faith. It's actually not really worth much. But I struggle to figure out how human ability and human wisdom could have transformed the cross, the meaning of that word, so much. I struggle to see how Jesus rising from the dead and then transforming our whole world could actually be a plan that people worked out. You know, there are historians who look back at the rise of Christianity, secular historians, and they don't actually have a good reason for why people would give up their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the cross reminds us that we're not strong enough for our own salvation, that human strength, human wisdom, and human strength takes us only so far. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, my goodness, I don't agree with you because the cross is a manufactured thing as a result of human wisdom and human strength. Human wisdom and human strength have produced the cross and now we're all eating hot cross buns and we're all, maybe. But if humans did it, then this next point, to me anyway, knocks it out of the park. Because the cross defies our ideas of human merit. And if humans were to come up with a savior of the world, and if we were to develop a system of salvation, let me tell you, because humans have tried this many, many times, and indeed, there are systems of salvation in our world today. You can be saved if you have enough money. You can be saved if you know the right people. You can be saved through influence. You can be, there are systems right now for salvation. But those systems, even the medical system, economic system, they prioritize people of merit. 
people worth saving. What human comes up with a system that defies our inherent ideas of human merit itself? That's the cross, right? That's the cross. Because at the cross was good news. We've been good news for sinners. You know, you got Zacchaeus, a tax collector who repented in Luke 19, verse um, 1 to 10. You've got the sick, right? The cross was a message to the sick, the sick, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. You have, oh my goodness, you've got in Matthew 9, 20, a woman who with an issue of blood who was deemed unclean and people couldn't even go near her. You have the outcast from demon-possessed people through to lepers who were literally cast out of the city they were in because their disease was so infectious. You even have doubters like Thomas. You even have religious leaders who thought they were so cool and that they had figured out a system of merit. Nicodemus was one of them in John 3, 2. You have entire people groups that were deemed less than, like the Samaritans, who were to be avoided at all costs because they were like, not so pure. And Jesus reached out to them with the cross. You have the rich and you have the poor and you even, in Matthew 19, um, 14, and it says, you know, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So you even have the kids. Who devises a system that is like that if you're going to come up? with man's wisdom and man's strength. And probably the, one of the most nonsensical things, if you, if any of us here was to come up with a system for salvation, one of the most nonsensical things, I think, is the criminal who is next to Jesus on the cross, the proven person who's a criminal who actually deserves to be like punished according to the laws of this day right this guy this guy apparently gets access to the power of the cross this guy this guy who hasn't been to church he's not got the you know the magnet badges that all of you guys i know will get for reading the whole new testament Right? You know, this guy, this guy who's not number one on anyone's merit list at all, and not even in church merit lists, this guy basically goes, Hey, Jesus, can you remember me? I, I know you've done nothing wrong. Like, hey, I'm banking on you to save me. I actually don't know much about you. I actually cannot quote the Torah to you. I can't, but Jesus, Jesus. And literally that guy makes it in. Which one of you comes up with a system like this? That this guy, it turns out anyone 
who places their faith in Jesus, anyone gets saved. And that would be so ridiculous if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus Christ is the one and only God. And the only one with the power of God. It, it would be so ridiculous, I tell you. But on the other hand, if there was one God who made the world, I mean, if, if we're talking about our real life, then, you know, it, God cannot just be a whatever we imagine him to be. He cannot just be, oh, we like a God who wears jeans, so let's uh, make a God who wears jeans, right? right? If, if we're talking about reality, then God is whoever he is, and we have to just figure out who he is. Things about him. That's why the Bible talks about the mysteries of God. That's why it's, it's, it's a lifelong, I think it's like, it's like being married to your wife, a lifelong mystery of discovery, right? But God's like that. God's like that. You gotta like figure out, God, what are you like? But here's one thing I know about God. The name of Jesus is powerful. God is powerful. There are signs around, there are things in our world, in our lived history that show that the power of God supersedes is greater than the wisdom of man, the strength of man, and even the merit system that man has. In fact, the cross reminds us that we all have merit in God's eyes. I, I, I don't know whether you've come to church today and you think, oh man, like church is just this judgy place and, you know, I'm never going to be good enough for God or whatever it is. Uh, I'll tell you, that was never the concept behind the cross. That was never the concept behind the cross. The world tells us that if we work hard, do well, refine our skills, then we'll be something. But invariably, as we do that, we find ourselves falling short. You know, as a pastor, I've actually seen a lot of this. I've met men who are absolute successes in their career and failures at home. And it wrecks, it wrecks them and it wrecks the people around them. I've met people who you'd think, wow, they are talented, they are young, they're full of potential. They're so well-resourced and the future awaits them. And then I've had conversations with them about how they don't feel worthy and how they feel like they don't have any merit. How, how can that be? I, I, I'm so sorry if, if being in church or growing up at church has placed in you the idea that human merit comes from us and the things that we do. Let me just remind all of us on Easter Sunday that the cross was the great equalizer, that the cross represents salvation for all. Only in the name of Jesus. Not just any ordinary name. A powerful name. It relies on, it needs the power of God. 
And I think it is impossible to explain the transformation that is in the cross without alluding to the power of God. So where does this take us? Where does it all land and where does it take us? What if the cross was powerful in ways that we can't understand? But it, what if the cross was powerful in ways that we can't understand, but that we can see in our real world? I want to sort of finish with this one line. I try to make my sermons one line so you can sort of remember it. But Easter is evidence that there is more at play in our world than just human wisdom, human strength, and human ways of value. The cross, Easter, is literally living real life in our real world proof that all those things don't add up to much. They weren't able to stop the massive transformation that ripped the Roman Empire apart, but also ripped so many cultures and civilizations apart, actually. It was not powerful enough to stop the good news of Jesus Christ spreading and spreading and spreading. Oh my goodness, people tried. Spreading, spreading, spreading. It's like, it's like Mauritius. Right? Malaysia, Australia, like all these like, my goodness, obscure parts of the world now literally are celebrating Easter. How is that? I, I think it's evidence that there's more at play. It, it, it reminds me a little bit, and I know I keep saying COVID, you know, in my service because it, it, it burns in my memory. But it reminds, we've all literally lived through an era where we've had people tell us things at the best, at the pinnacle of human wisdom and capability, and we have seen the limits of it. Because sometimes things happen and we just don't know fast enough what it is that's happening. And I don't blame any of the, the, the governments or scientists or anything that happened before because we literally were trying to figure it all out ourselves. Everybody was just human. Everybody's just trying to figure it out, Right? But something else was at play with COVID and we were trying to figure it out. I think the same thing can be said about Easter. Easter is evidence that there is more at play than just your job and do your kids get an A in their studies and, you know, uh, do my friends like me? Do my friends like me? Did my boyfriend, you know, send me flowers? There's more at play in our world than the kingdoms of men. So I want to end with this. Did you know on Saturday, the 6th of May, 2023, right? Uh, ooh, I cannot slide this. The kingdoms of men have failed because I can't go to the next slide. Great. <laughs> Westminster, <laughs> Buckingham Palace has announced that Westminster Abbey, right? They're going to be crowning the new king at this place here. The new king. My goodness, we got a king. We got a new king. 
written, not, not in our OHP text, but written if you, if you no, no, the picture. <laughs> See, kingdoms of men. Okay, if writ, okay, previous slide, previous slide, previous slide. Previous, yeah, okay. Written up here at the top where you probably can't read it, right? At the top of the altar, above the Lord's Supper picture, are written these words where the king's going to be crowned. And these are the words. Next slide. All the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Those are really powerful words. They occur in Revelations 11 at the end of our Bible. But they allude to something that the cross has given us evidence for. They allude to something that the cross has given us evidence for, which is that maybe a day will come where all the kingdoms of this world and all the kingdoms of men will be shown for what it is. And they will become the kingdom of our Lord. And so this Easter, I don't know what your relationship with God is. I don't know where you're standing. But we would not be doing Easter justice. We would not be doing the gospel justice. We would not be doing Jesus Christ justice if we did not explain to you that Easter is not just bunnies, eggs, chocolate, some kind of systems of men. We need to make it really clear that there is more at play in our world than just the systems of men and the kingdoms of men. Because all of those did not prevail against the cross. And so we sit here on this side of Easter and we celebrate our hope that even though there are things wrong in this world, our Lord has won the victory that this master plan with a single point of failure is not going to fail. And that one day the kingdoms of men will become the kingdom of our Lord. All of us here, we have access to this kingdom through Jesus Christ. And whatever your situation is, I, know your his I don't know your history, but today as we uh, do communion, if um, I'm just going to close with communion. So if you don't have the communion cups, could you just open that and pass it?